Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 83 of Cage Rage, and Nicholas Cage podcast. The podcast in which I take you on the journey to true cage nirvana. It's the highest, most essential, sensual, sexual, emotional, physical, spiritual form of being ever possibly done, did, id. You, you understand words. Uh, and how is that achievable, you ask? Well, only through watching every film the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, has ever made. How are you? Hope you've had a good week. Uh, well, well and truly into the 80s of the episodes now. It's episode 83. And on this episode, joined by a returning Super Marcy and Bead Germain from the Super Podcast Network, an affiliated podcast to talk about 2018's thriller looking glass um always a fun time when these two lovely lots are on the podcast and a lot of ground as ever is covered we talk about the bloated cast we talk about beeping and a nicholas cage musical yes of course we do um a lot of fun a lot of fun had all around um so we'll get into the episode but quickly getting the admin out of the way as ever you can find the podcast on all the usual places where you find your podcasts. If you're listening to someone that you can leave a rating, please do. It helps the podcast grow. You can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast, Instagram at cage rage pod. All the links in the description. Um, give us a follow, give us a like. It really helps. It's much appreciated. But with that said, let's jump straight into the episode. It's episode 83. Looking glass. Enjoy. We continue in 2018, this week with the thriller Looking Glass. This time, Cage plays Ray, one part of a married couple who purchases an old motel and soon becomes entangled in the strange goings-on that occur there. <laughs> Joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if this movie is worth a look in glass, or if you should look in glass elsewhere, are film critics, podcasters and friends of the show from the Super Network, Super Marcy and Bede Germain. Marcy, Bede, welcome back. How are we both doing? Hello. Uh, pretty good. Hello, and uh, pretty good, thanks, <laughs> Daryl. Um, because Marcy and I had been on the show solo previously, but now this is our yeah. first time being on the show together. Yes, it's a team effort for The Looking Glass today. Indeed. In yeah. some, some films need a team effort, and I feel like this absolute weirdness was a... Uh, was was one of them, but we planted the seeds. We've had you in 2013 for a film, and then there's a 2014-70 film, and now we're here, culminating in 2018, where we're kicking off an absolute string of straight-to-video yeah. efforts for um, for Nicolas Cage. Um, and obviously, there's a, a fair bit to break down in this film, um, but as established in previous episodes, we're all Nicolas Cage fans here. We're all Nicolas yes. Cage aficionados, uh, fans mm-hmm. of the Golden Hog. Um, now for this one, Looking Glass, to both of you, is this one that you'd heard of before? Because this is uh, brand new to me, a first time watch to me. 
Yeah, it was. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I'd never heard yeah. of this movie at all. I had no idea what it was. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Let's watch it. I mean, I've heard of it for a while because, you know, it's Nicolas Cage. Of course, I've heard of this movie. Um, <laughs> but I only just uh, watched it for the first time today, just prior to uh, jumping on the podcast. And I have to admit, like, I think I must have vaguely remember what the plot was because I knew it was about Nicolas Cage and his wife, played by Robin Tunney, at a motel. But I kept thinking it's a kind of like a vacancy kind of situation where they get caught up in a snuff film ring or is it something else I completely forgot. So basically going into this film, like I didn't know, had any idea what the plot was. So basically like everything that was unfolding was like a surprise for me uh, throughout yeah. this whole watch. I, I had no idea. I was just like, yeah, whatever. And then I looked at the brief synopsis. It's like, oh, Nicolas Cage and Robin Tunney d- decide to run a motel for reasons. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Let's do it. Let's see <laughs> what is behind the looking glass. I mean... Looking through the looking glass, there's, I think there's a lot of Cage films in this era of the 2010s, which I think as you perfectly surmised there, Marcy, it's just because reasons. And that's yeah. that's really what I've come to accept from a lot of these films, um, <laughs> going through all of this. Um, but I was I was looking into this, didn't know anything about it before I'd read the plot. I just saw the poster and I was like, Nick Cage with a full beard? All right, then. Mm. Mm. Um, totally. <laughs> so, I mean, I know, I know. We always chart, you know, like um, on this podcast at least, a sort of Nicolas Cage hair progression. Almost for a lot of the twenty tens, it's kind of quite the same. It's kind of just like I don't know, almost a product of too much hairspray, slick back, very much the same Lego haircut. With respect, I have to add. Mm. Um, but then you don't often see him with a full beard, so I have mm. to ask again. To fellow Cage uh, enthusiasts here, Cage with a full beard, yay or nay? Where do we stand on that? I'm going to say yay. Yay, for sure. Because, well, it's interesting, kind of, because I was curious, like, what other movies came out in 2018 that starred Nicolas Cage? And looking at the list, like, this was the year that kind of was uh, kind of a turning point for him because, I mean, this was like, yeah, he was still doing the direct-to-video films, but this Mm. started because uh, a couple of very high-profile films that he was involved in. Uh, took shape this year, like Mandy and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and uh, even Teen Titans go to the movies. Like, this is the ones where he started being back in both, like, cinema releases and also direct the video. But mm. now, in the lot since then, like, he's been starring in more high-profile stuff. But in terms of his uh, beard, I, I do love Nicolas Cage with a beard. I think it suits him. Although, I don't know if it's just me. I mean, I've seen him with other films, like, especially of this period, with a beard. And it's like, yeah, he looks good. But for some reason, I don't know if it was just me, but I think like there was like, I think there has to be, his beard looked weird in this film because I think it might've been dyed, but I'm not exactly sure. Oh, Like he sort of had, like, you know, it's very obvious, like, you know, his hair's like, you know, Mm. dyed and everything like that. But I think he might've did it to his beard in this film because it doesn't look naturally dark. If that makes any sense, it's, it's I don't the same think color. I paid that much attention. I was just mm. like, "That's a pretty full-on like beard," because the hairs yeah. look like they're curling up a bit, and like if mm. you made out with him, you'd probably get a curly hair stuck in your teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but there was even shots. It could like... be a pube. You don't know. But <laughs> like there was I didn't say where shots. you were kissing him, but you know, <laughs> like like the certain... point. Yeah, like there <laughs> were certain shots. I can think like maybe his his beard was dyed because if you sort of notice around the edges, 
there were white hairs along the edges, but nowhere you else. You really his studied his beard. I was really studying his beard because, to be honest, there wasn't really much to hang on to with this movie, so I had to focus my attention somewhere oh. in this film. So, <laughs> why, why do you think I look at his hair so frequently? There's uh, a lot yes. of a lot of these it's... films when it's it's a big focal point in the hair, and then the beard comes in, and I'm like, <laughs> just when you think you've seen it everything, is. it I usually mean, is. I mean, compared to, like, his beard and Mandy, which looked very natural and cool, it just looked odd here in this film. Well, maybe they wanted him to just look a little bit younger. Mm. I don't know. But it was bizarre. Yeah. But I'm all for uh, Mr. Cage, Sir Cage, uh, having the beard. I'm totally down with the beard. I'm like, you know what? It's kind of hot. I think I'm, I think I can go for it as well because I think it's, we're so used to seeing him like clean shaven, or a um, bit of stubble or something. Bit of stubble, yeah. maybe clean shaven, something going mm. on, um, but not too distracting. Then this beard comes in, and I'm like, you, you thought I wouldn't notice, um, but notice I did. So I think we can safely say um, three votes for motion carried on the Nicholas Cage beard. Um, Nicholas, if you're yeah. listening, we'll have some more of that. Um, so yes, <laughs> well, hopefully, he is because I know, like, before, like, a few weeks ago, Daryl, you did a video for what was like on Twitter, which was, I believe, it was the official, um, un- <laughs> I like for Nicholas Cage's upcoming film where he plays himself, which I'm now forgetting the title, which I shouldn't because I feel bad. Shame, uh, unbearable- shame on you. The, the unbearable weight of mass and talent, and they asked for people like for Nicolas Cage's birthday to send him like a video, and your video was chosen on that day. Don't worry about so, it. So Nicolas Cage might have saw your video, so that means you'll have to listen to this podcast. I'm hoping he privately saw mine because mine didn't make it on Twitter, and I put so much effort into that. Neither did mine. I mean... The last thing I want to think is that Nicolas Cage has no idea who any of us are, and this is all just some kind of social marketing ploy to get uh, people like us to interact because they know they you know we will. Um, mm-hmm. But still, no hint of Lionsgate sending out the true believers a Nicolas Cage Christmas jumper, which I am livid about, by the way. So Lionsgate, yes. I will continue to DM you mm-hmm. every day until the film releases and beyond, until you yield to my persistence and demands. So, you know, we're starting off talking about the beard and threatening production companies. So, <laughs> Yeah, we're doing well <laughs> so far. <laughs> this is... well, what would you expect from a podcast featuring the three of us? <laughs> this, this is where it's come to, you know. We're, we're here yeah. in 2022. This is where it's come to. This is where we are. And I say yeah. never back down, double down. And that's exactly what. I intend to do. Um, so we, so getting into this film, getting into Looking Glass. Um, mm. I think, as I said, this is one I'd not heard before. Didn't really know anything about it. Mm. Um, I think as we, I think we've talked about off record. This is well, has very similar um, notes to other documentaries uh there's the real life story of gerald foos the former motel uh owner in colorado who was mm. a voyeur who peeped at guests who who cited it for you know science reasons and i think you said I forgot, this this was 
this was turned in his story was turned into a documentary on Netflix. Mm. I think it was maybe an article that turned into a documentary. It came out a few years ago. And if I remember, I think the guy used to go like in the roof on the ceiling and look down on people, but he did this for years. It is really just, ugh. and then it's like, okay, let's make this into a movie. Why? <laughs> So I think some people just thought, I think the story of this paper needs to be told in one mm. form or the other. So, yeah, I think he, he went into the uh, the vents above rooms and peeked down. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And, yeah. Um, so I, I suppose it, you know, it begs an obvious question. Would you rather be peeped at by strange Gerald Foos or peeped at by Nicholas Cage? We well, know obvious. what the answer is. Yeah, exactly. It's obviously going to be uh, Foos, right? <laughs> Blasphemy! <laughs> I kid, I kid. Totally. I mean, who would want to be peeped on by Nicolas? Look, Cage? if Nicolas Cage wants to, you know, peep at me through the one-way mirror, go for it. I'm down with that. And I, and I, I also, I want call him. Me. <laughs> call, call, call all of us. I want him to want to know that I know that he's there. Mm. I, I want to, you know. I, I know, I know how he feels looking behind that mirror glass window, <laughs> and we'll get to that. Oh yes, yes we will. Um, but we'll... I have a lot to discuss with that. You know, we'll <laughs> we'll start as all films start at the beginning, and I, here's the thing: like at the beginning, it was kind of it kind of really piqued my interest because you get sort of the um, sort of going through the different shots of the desert, and you get that sort of. Um, Typography coming on the screen, like looking grass in, in red letters, going like, Meow. so you kind of think that you're getting like, um, I don't know, like something like 70s or just kind of very era specific movie. You think, oh, this is mm. interesting, some interesting cinematography here. Um, and then you know, does the film continue to pique their interest throughout? I suppose we'll have to get into that, but um, mm. obviously, with the film setting you up right at the start, and then we've got you know, um. Ray and Maggie, Cage and Robin Tunney driving through the desert. There's the flashbacks. We're setting up a lot of like beats and notes here. So when, when we were kicking these things off in like the first one two minutes here, mm. um, was it the same for you too? Like you, you you felt maybe a bit more curious about the film than mm. what it sort of gave you going on. Yeah, because oh, it yeah. just starts off with like you know that red riding and saying, oh, okay, so we're sort of, you know, we're getting somewhere. They're obviously, this is a couple, something's happened, they're obviously going somewhere. Um, and it's like, okay, yeah, intriguing enough to, you know, have me sit and be more interested than wanting to play on my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And you may, and we get the flashbacks of a little girl with a birthday cake, so we just kind of assume, who is this little girl? Is that their daughter or someone else? Although I will admit I was slightly put off by the opening credits because the credits of this movie look like they were done on Windows Movie Maker. Just <laughs> like the font and how they place it and the colouring, it just looked weird. It looked very it's very red. Yeah. It's very, very red. Yeah, yeah. It's like, again, with the typography, just it kind of like went against, I guess, any vague expectation I had for the film and it was kind of like, oh, well, I'll sit up a little bit, maybe we've got something here and um, mm. again we just saw the way it was shot because it's it's a, it's a competently directed 
movie. It's by uh, Tim Hunter, who is mm. um, mostly known for TV work. Um, a select few here, but he's directed on Twin Peaks, House, Deadwood, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. So, very prolific director in the realm of TV. Um, and so, th- and I, I guess with that as well, almost feeling like it's going to be something exploitation-y. I thought, oh, maybe we're going to get some kind of... I don't know, maybe like something Twin Peaksy here. I thought we were going to get something mm. like... I don't know, a bit a bit weirder than what we, than it, what we got. It, it, it is kind of weird. Like, the characters are very sort of small-ish town quirky. Mm. But it's quirky in a weird way that you kind of question some of the motivations of the characters i don't know if that entirely works but i think that you're right that they kind of were approaching it with maybe a bit of a twin peaks e type view if that makes sense yeah yeah Mm. definitely Mm. and also like uh tim hunter hunter uh he's directed a few films and one film of his Mm. that i have seen which i think is an absolutely fantastic film is a film called river's edge which had a Keanu Reeves, Crispin Glover, and uh, Dennis Hopper. It's a one great film if you haven't seen that, it. That film um, is, you, you need to be prepared when you watch that. It's yeah, it, so yeah, it's a, long. Yeah, it's a very heavy film. Um, mm. And I know for this, because he's directed a lot of TV, like he's directed films or like other films and that, but I think this was like his first film in quite a while. And mm. I was kind of curious to see how he would do this because, again, like, you say, Daryl, he's been directing a lot of episodes for TV. And probably mm. just prior to this film coming out, he directed like a lot of episodes in the uh, final season of Hannibal as well. Mm. So I yes. thought, oh, he's going to bring some, a lot of the, like the, like the direct visually stylistic choices he's done for all these episodes of TV he's directed into this film. And I will admit though, like, even though, yeah, for the most part, the film is rather okay in terms of direction, but at times, I don't know whether it's because the budget kind of hindered the film, but a lot of the time, at least how the film is handled and put together, it felt a little inept in terms of mm. how it's crafted. And yeah, and it kind of lacked that style. Like it definitely has mood and atmosphere, mm. but yeah, it kind of just lacked something in the directing department that just kind of made it feel more cheap than like, say, something more cinematic. It felt like a direct to like VOD yeah. DVD but interesting thing um Tim Hunter directed a TV movie and wait for this title Video Voyeur Whoa. so he's got background in the peep game yep. <laughs> I, I was just going over like oh what what else um like movie what stuff and I'm like oh oh that's a bit creepy so yes. yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's definitely knows his stuff then. So he's like, I've had a taste of the peep, but uh, waiter, I want you to bring the full bottle to the table. Uh, mm-hmm. Peep peeps all round for the guest is what I want. So Tim Hunter, uh, I'll see you, pal. See what, <laughs> see what I did there. I see, I see. Um, jokes, ladies and gentlemen, jokes is what we're bringing. But I, I completely agree with what you mean. That it's it's. You know, it, it looks good. It looks like uh, mm. it looks clean. It gives the presentation of um, uh, a very competent film. But I, mm. I, I agree with exactly what you said. It's it ultimately, though, um, despite 
an element of some polish and areas, and the sets look good as well. I think mm. I did not believe that they were in the desert or at a motel. Mm. Um, it, it does ultimately feel like a straight-to-video movie, which mm. which it is, which it is. Um, and I think, you know, more, obviously we'll get to them as we go through. I think a lot of the issue came from um, a lot of the characters not really being purposeful ultimately to the movie yeah. in any way because I think it introduces mm. like including um Cage and Tunney uh there's like three sort of important supporting characters mm. there's Howard the cop there is um the trucker Tommy I think it is and there is um I feel like there's one more person Ben uh the guy who used to own the motel mm. So they're kind of the only relevant people you really need, but I think looking at the mm. credits, there was like fifteen characters in this, and ultimately ten of them really don't do anything mm. that serves the plot. So I guess it also, in a way, you kind of made it feel a bit more um, Twin Peaksy in that there's a lot mm. of characters, and then they're not always doing things that you want to see. Um, but I, th- I suppose we get introduced to Ben first because they've gone to the motel, they've picked up the keys which he's just left outside and then they're trying to get in touch with Ben who's kind of just uh, says, oh, you can handle the motel. So Ben is this sort of like weird, sort of off-in-the-distance character. We don't really know m- much about him. Later on, he disconnects his number. So like, I guess what, what do we sort of make of um, Ben here? And I suppose as well, really, as we you know, as we find out more about the motivations of Ray and Maggie... What do we make about um, this? This, I guess, the weird thing in this sort of characters just doing things that don't necessarily make sense. Make their sense, I should say. I mean, my words don't make sense like this film. <laughs> Ray, yeah. Ray, Ray, basically meeting a stranger on the internet, buying a motel because that's mm. what happens when you are, as we find out, grieving parents, mm. and no one stopped him. Um, so I guess the motivations of the characters, we look at Ben as well. Um, do you think like Ben served his purpose? Um, did you want to see more of Ben? Because I think I still felt, I think I still felt a bit confused mm. with Ben's character. Yeah, it sort of just happened, and it's like, so you just met this dude on like Craigslist or whatever it is. Yeah, it was and Craigslist. What yeah. a motel, like. Wouldn't you look into this stuff a bit more and then you might have found out some weird shit was going on there? Like, why are you doing this? This, the the kind of story, like the story it's telling in, in what it's trying to say, like, it's not the worst idea in the world. Like, it could have been a competent story, but the script definitely needed more work before actually being filmed. Mm. And at least from the beginning, you wouldn't sort of be going there why the fuck would someone buy a motel off someone they don't fucking know? Why does this always happen? It's not realistic. Yeah, I would even question, like, who? Why, why would someone put their motel up for sale on Craigslist of all places? Mm. I'm pretty sure there's a realtor you can, like, sell it off to. Yeah, why is someone being so dodgy and then he disconnects his phone? Yeah, I would start, even for Nicolas Cage and Robin Tunney, I would start being very suspicious right away, even just when just seeing the Craigslist ad for motel for sale. It's it's just, it is all just like very weird motivations um, mm. because it's one of these things that you kind of just have to accept, like, I, I 
guess maybe you'd be convinced to buy a motel if you were grieving, even though you have Ooh. no experience in hospitality. Yeah. I think he makes mention to being a carpenter and an electrician. I think he says, yeah, he, like, I'm an electrician and a carpenter. I'm like, oh, okay, Jesus, sure, whatever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> isn't he? I mean, um, we know, really. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing in my experience to disprove that theory yet. But it's, I think this is kind of the issue with, I guess, Ray and Maggie, because they really are two main characters in this for the, mm. for, for the most part of things. And it's, by and large, it's, it's really Ray's story um mm. and i think because there's more to talk about ray i think we'll selfishly sort of save him uh for a little later on but it, looking at maggie um i did feel bad for like robin tunney because i think ultimately um the script d- really doesn't give her a lot to do it doesn't and th- you know she's actually like a really really good actress and you kind of want more for it in well, a movie like this. Mm-hmm. I yeah, cast her. Right. <laughs> if yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to her character. Like you could, eat, like if the script mm. was kind of develop, developed mm. more, there's a lot of aspects to her character that the film could have easily dived into and make it kind of equal sharing between her and mm. Cage because it's obviously she's going through her own kind of problems, probably with that with the guilt of what happened to their daughter, being that. It, you know, the film kind of insinuates that uh, Cheetah has used to take drugs and like, and seeing like how that sort of affects her and like through, of course, you know, go through this motel and she wants to have another child because there's like a very brief scene where she, ha- where like uh, Ray sees Maggie with like pamphlets for adoption and he's like kind of flips out a little bit, not Kate's rage style flip out, yeah. but Sure. He's like, um, what, what, why are we going to be talking about getting more kids? Let's, we got we got this motel. It's like a kid. It's like a very big kid. <laughs> what is this, the Sims? <laughs> and um, so basically, and she gets upset. And yeah, it's just, then we kind of just focus more on on Ray rather than her character. Like, like you guys said, it's like, you know, the potential is there for a really well-developed character, mm. but the script doesn't really just focuses its attention more on Ray than her. Well, kind of on Ray, but then just weird characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But we really did the movie could have done without a lot of them because mm. they, it, it, it brings nothing to it ultimately. Yeah. This is kind of like the, the, the grand shame about it. It kind of, Outside of Ray, it's like the film doesn't really know who to spend time with. And with Maggie especially, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Robin Tunney does really admirably with what little she's given, Mm. and she's very good with what little she's Mm. given. Um, But ultimately undervalued in the film, Mm. and I think her characterization really just seems to be tantamount to having two fights with Ray, one of them is about the adoption, and then there's uh, one of them when she confronts him after he comes back from following the BDSM woman to the bar, which she then just <laughs> throws her in a shower and pours cold water on her. Um, which is like, and then they have really bizarre, angry sex. Yes, yeah, we get we get two K draw dogging scenes in this, yeah. which mm. see, 
But as he, in Nicolas Cage, wow. like Ray is putting Maggie in the shower, he just says, "You need to call. You need to cool down. Let's you this. You need to cool down, Maggie. You're getting too angry. This is getting too heated." <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of like, oh, things are getting heated. Ray literally calls Maggie off. Um, but it, it, but the thing is though, it's like it kind of works. So I was like. Is this something you've had to do before in mm. this in this strange relationship? I think as we touched on, the film doesn't give you a, a great deal of context mm. to their relationship in the past. Mm. Um, obviously, as we find out, they uh, lost their six-year-old daughter um, through an accident. It's implied that Maggie might have had a, a drug, a history with mm. drugs. It's implied that Ray was um, possibly unfaithful with the neighbour in the past. Um but it, it just comes across as like you know there's a lot of there's a lot mm. of trauma in the past here and how do we mm. how do we solve that we buy a motel in the desert where we can watch mm. people where we can watch people peep mm. um so it, again it comes back to just like i don't know just characters making weird decisions um mm. and again just wishing that maggie did more and again it's not necessarily you know, an issue. I, I, I also know I had no issue with Robin Tunney's performance at all. I thought it was again good with mm. what little she was given. Yeah. But there was one a sort of weird scene later on in the movie where um, it's it's they go to a casino together. It's kind of like a bit of an oddly placed scene. I yeah. Think. But it was like it's just like bef- let's get hammered and go to the casinos. Okay. Cheers. Who's running the hotel? They just switched the no vacancy sign and like mm. I guess that's how you say out of office for for a motel. But it but just... what if guests there need someone? There's no one there. Well, I guess Tommy the truck will be too busy sort oh, of with a prostitute in room yeah. ten. But it was just before that, like um, Ray goes to Maggie and he's like, um, "You look tired," and I was like, "She hasn't done anything." Yeah, she signed in one guest, and she, for the rest of the time with the film, she's either telling Ray to get a new pan, or she sat down with headphones in. I was like, she don't give her a day off. She hasn't earned it. <laughs> um, so I just thought, I just thought the casino visit was a bit. I don't know. It just kind of seems like, oh, we've got access to a casino. We might as well use it. Um. Mm. But this, for some reason. <laughs> but it's around this time that I guess um, maybe some elements of strangeness are occurring a bit mm. more. Um, obviously, we've got we're introduced to a few more characters here. We've got Tommy the trucker, who is a um, a married uh, but adulterous sex addict who's always wants room ten because it's the mm-hmm. the quietest room on the end, so we can sort of um, mm. make sweet love to sex workers. Um, Mm-hmm. There is a the lady that gets signed in the first guest at room six is Jessica, and then there's a lady that always visits Jessica who is, um, yeah, I think she has like different names, but credited like in the movie, she's just called the uh, Strawberry Blonde. That's uh, I was mm. like, I was like, that's my hair color. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> um. But again, this this comes into a thing because we're introduced to more characters. We're introduced to yeah. Sheriff Howard as well, played by Mark Lucas. Um, so we 
we get a bit of Jessica, and then this is at the point where Ray's found the the hidden tunnel in the pump room, if you know what I'm saying, um, leading to a tiny room with a one-way mirror to room 10, so we can sit around and peep. He watches t- um, Tommy in there, just dancing around in his tight EYEs and uh, having a wonderful time. Then he watches uh, Jessica and Strawberry Blonde have uh, sort of BDSM relations. Um, so we're getting more and more mm. characters here. Um, I think Tommy gets a lot of screen time, but he's ultimately mm. doesn't do anything. <laughs> Again, this is this is exactly the thing. You're introduced yeah. to these characters, and you're like, oh, there's the intrigue of strawberry blonde and bdsm and like oh does this play into um, mm. the story and tommy's a regular at the motel he always wants this room does it play into the story and ultimately mm. like a lot of these characters and again i think i don't think the acting is necessarily bad for most mm. of the actors in this i think everyone does again admirably with what little they're giving compared to cage um but a lot of the characterization and characters in this just comes across to me as dead weight there's just not mm, a lot of yeah. need for it. Yeah, it, it's it, sort it, of, I guess, there to like, oh, this is this guy's acting a bit weird. What could mm. be going on? And then yeah. it's like, oh, we're introduced to the the spy area. Ooh, but it's just it, it's not kind of intriguing enough to give a shit. Yeah, it's almost like the it's, the film is setting up. Yeah, kind of, it's like the film is setting up all these characters to be possible mm. red herrings. Like, we're not mm. sure what for. And then, of mm. course, um, Jessica gets attacked by someone wearing all black in the motel room and then is found murdered mm. later. Yeah. So I guess the film kind of wants to set us up. Maybe one of these characters may have killed her. But, yeah, it's... I don't know, just like you say, that we spend so much time with these characters that... Yeah, at the end, like, it feels, like, kind of, yeah, pointless in the end, like, spending time with these characters. Like, I, I was, like you say, Daryl, like, it, it, the, the, the actors who play these roles do an admirable job. I did like um, Ernie Lively, who did, does play Tommy, who I found out in my research is actually uh, the father of Blake Lively, the actress. Um uh-huh. And Robin Lively, the actress as well, who was on mm. Twin Peaks, so there's that connection. It all mm-hmm. comes full circle. Um, <laughs> so I thought he was good. And also he had probably, without a doubt, I think the most hilarious line in the movie because I heard this line. It just made me laugh yeah. out loud so loud. Yep. Where he just basically says, I got to do I gotta do my duty for my to my wiener. <laughs> Which <laughs> was like, where the fuck did this line come from? That was, that was I mean, I know he's a sex addict, but still. <laughs> <laughs> well, that like comes at, if I'm remembering correctly, that comes at the same point where um, they, they've, uh, and we'll, we'll touch back on this in a second, like they found after the casino a dead pig in the pool. There's a picture stuffed yeah. into the dead pig. Um, and then Tommy is sort of explaining that, oh, there was a girl that climbed into the pool and sort of slit herself open and killed herself. By mm. the way, I've got to go and bang this prostitute. I've got to do the yeah. I've got to do the duty to my wiener. Um, so, yep. you know, Tommy's a man of principle and honour, and I respect that. He's got things to do. He's got an itinerary to stick to. And also, i gotta, I got to respect uh, Tommy as well, because based on all the sex workers he has sex with, he likes women all different mm. shapes and sizes so he like he is 
he the, he does not discriminate this man when it comes to uh, clearly he just, he, he, he's just like you know what she's available tonight exactly he's a, a fair man just like the hog of the golden hog firm but fair exactly <laughs> um and, and being with that uh Nicholas Cage and and Maggie finding that ping in the pool, I just had to laugh at that moment because it basically like foreshadowed his role in uh pig recently as well. <laughs> I mean again, it's all the golden hog come in full circle. Um, I, I suppose I guess whilst we're on the subject of the of the pig, obviously you know, they find the gutted pig and the picture mm. inside and it was very bizarre. It was but I'm very like, bizarre. But I'm like, dude. Why don't you just call the cops? This is this is exactly the thing because obviously yeah. you know in in a, in a I think a scene following this like when Sheriff Howard comes back around because Sheriff Howard keeps coming and going to this motel. Mm. Um, it's like oh, it was a bit weird that he didn't call me, and it's kind of like it is a bit weird that he didn't it is, call actually. you. It's a bit weird that he decided I'm going to take this dead pig to the desert and, and burn, burn it. it. Um, yeah. Again, characters making strange decisions that have yeah. no foundation in reality or, mm-hmm. or any kind of logic. So I think I was watching that scene at like half ten last night in my time. And I was like, I guess he was quite tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, it's, and, um, and even Howard was right because basically it's like, dude, you just basically threw away like evidence so, of a crime. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. of course, you. And you sort of say, oh, it's local kids. And I guess the kids who work at the gas station across the road. They are not kids. They are like 50-year-old men. <laughs> yes. Again, again, Marcy, you are not wrong. Uh, <laughs> you are not wrong in any way, shape or form. So um, we'll, we'll get to Sheriff Howard in a second. But there are the characters at the gas station, which I think tying into what you said, be like more just red herrings of characters. Mm. There's, a, there's the guy who works at basically the desk of the, of the, the, uh, the gas station. Mm. And he's just like, oh, I work across the road. It's like, me and my boys, we get stuff done around here, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but then ultimately all the boys do, and all the gas station man does, mm. is peep. Everyone's a peeper in this town. Everyone's Everyone peeps. On, yeah. Everyone's peeping on everyone else. Mm. Um, the town should be called Voyeurism a Town. Yes. It, or Peeping peeping Toms. The, the, the peep, peeping Tomville. There. Yeah, there we go. I was going to say Peeping Town. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm not. I'm not clever with <laughs> with making things up. It should have been a musical, like "Welcome to Peep Street." We're all creeps. Now that uh, you say that, Daryl, I just want to see Nicolas Cage in a musical now. <laughs> <laughs> One way, two way mirror. <laughs> Lesbians doing some BDSM. <laughs> I'm a thespian. You're a lesbian. Let's be. <laughs> I think Amazing. This, this is what I'm calling for. Um, but yeah, again, the bottom line is that the gas station attendees and all of his 50-year-old boys, um, mm. Dirty Mike and the boys, they're just... Useless peepers. Like he, he goes mm. to them. Um, they're just there. He gets. He f- 
someone throws paint up his wall and he runs to the gas station. He's like, you're always watching my motel. Did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything. No, they did my boys. <laughs> I was like, then what, then what do you do? Um, I, th- I think it was... I think Cage was in one of the scenes with the gas station guy and then he was saying like... Um, I think he was saying like, oh, like my boys can... My boys can take care of any problem. And Cage just chewing gum and he just goes, that's really cool. And then... He's <laughs> 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 just very nonchalant with everyone he speaks to and I was really there for it. Um, but we, we, we mentioned him earlier. Um, Sheriff Howard, very much a recurring character mm. throughout this. And um, I think, what do we make of Sheriff... Sheriff Howard, because you know, we'll ultimately find out his motivations. Well, do we later in the film? Mm. Um, but like, he's always turning yeah. up to the motel. He's always looking for Ben. He's always yeah. looking for like coffee. He's like, who drinks coffee? It's too hot. Um, mm. Yeah, he he's a character that is so obvious that he is the one that is behind certain things. Like, you know, this is the bad guy. Like, they might as well have had, like, the neon sign that says, I am a bad guy, because he acts so unnecessarily suspicious from the get-go. And it's like, yeah, he's going to be responsible for murdering people or something, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, he's got to be that character. And watching uh, BDSM lesbians. Exactly. And uh, pretty much he's like that character who basically when you first meet him, he comes across like, ah, oh, good old-fashioned, like, sheriff in a small, or deputy or officer in this small town. But then as the movie progresses, like, it's very obvious, like, you can definitely tell, like, this guy knows something that's going on. He's either the bad guy or he knows something. But I think with Mark Blukers, who plays Howard, like, I think he does a good job at least kind of bring a bit of, like, subtlety to that character because, like, he starts off being that kind of, like, good old American boy type of character, but then you mm. kind of sense there's something odd. He brings a slight oddness to his performance in a very subtle way where you can tell like, yeah, there's something sinister about this character, but it's not too overblown in any regard. Like the scene where he's like, he sees like a, they're in the motel room, like room number 10. And he sees like um, a prey mantis on the glass mirror. And then for like he's like talking about like if you look inside that when they spread their wings and the inside of their wings looks like the sun and then he actually has his gun pointed out at the praying mantis for some yeah this guy I'm like dude you you murder people in your spare time yes <laughs> that's how I mean, obvious he, it was to me I mean he completely murdered that prey mantis. He just got that Bible out of the drawer. I'm like, this smack. scene is so weird and so bizarre. It's like, really, was that needed? Okay. And then I did like the scene though where he's like questioning Nick. He's just like, Did you do it? Did you do it? And you can tell <laughs> Nick that was like so saying it oh it was so, so weird. It is so weird, but at the same time, you can kind of get like Nicholas Nicholas Cage in that moment because you're like the way he Lucas plays that scene. Like Nicholas Cage is kind of going through a different sets of emotions. He's like bewildered, confused, frustrated, angry. Like I guess you know, in a way, it's you know Howard just like really getting it. Like 
getting into uh, Ray's mind. Well, he he was clearly getting under his skin, and yeah, totally. Yeah. Like this kind of guy is just like fuck off. I mean, next time I run into someone, I'm going to be like, "Did you do it? Did you do it? Tell me, did you do it? You did do it, did you?" <laughs> just over and over again until it like starts to freak him out, or they find it annoying. <laughs> it was just like this, just brute force attempt at psychology. Because um, my notes here were literally, "Did you do it? Did I do what times a hundred? Because I was like. It it, it it it's kind of like a, a sudden like left turn if like Howard suddenly pointing suspicion at um Ray like did you do it did I do what did you do it did you do what? Um, yeah it, it's kind of like that kind of Twin Peaks weirdness like you would expect more from a mm. film like this because watching the film like it's very obvious like Tim Hunter was going for a noirish type of feel with this film with some oddball elements. And for me, like the scene, the did you do it scene is kind of one of those more effective kind of weird moments that do feels kind of something that could be in a David Lynch type of film. But you kind of wish there was more of that in the film. But most of the time it just comes across as rather by the numbers and pedestrian in terms of like Mm. how it treats its story. Mm. Yeah, I I think I definitely agree. If it leaned more into certain elements then played a lot of things just a bit sort of like I say by the numbers then I think we would have had mm. a much more interesting film um and it's it's kind of a, like around that time as well that the film I think I think we're about halfway through the film maybe just after halfway through the film here mm. and it's that, about this point when it's like the film is trying to then point suspicion at Ray for the murder earlier but then mm. it's like Obviously, the murder happens as the mass figure that sort of smothers and strangles and kills Jessica. Mm. And then it's like the film kind of forgets about it for a while and introduces all these... Mm. It's like it tries to introduce this kind of... Again, we're using... I think it's a very apt description. and like This Twin Peaks-esque, whodunit Mm. kind of Mm. narrative. Maybe doesn't lead into it enough. And then it goes like, oh, like, oh, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And then uh, Strawberry Blonde is saying to Maggie, you got to keep an eye on this guy. Mm. I think I think at this point, I think to point the suspicion at Ray, and it's not that he couldn't have been a credible suspect, but I think one, as we said, it's just too <coughs> obvious that it's Sheriff mm. Howard, and I think yeah, it's just it a little, it's just a little too late to be pointing the finger at Ray because by that point mm. I was like, well, the way the film's been sort of put together, like I don't, I don't really doubt that he's innocent. Um, mm. So th- if if it. it bleh. If it had kind of planted, like, maybe he was more, like, unhinged or was suffering sort of, like, you know, mental health issues or maybe he could have had something where maybe he doesn't remember that he could have done these bad things but doesn't set any of that up. And when it tries to put that suspicion, it's like, yeah, but no. And I almost feel like having this whole, you know, the, the looking glass, through in a hotel room like that's definitely something like that you get with the David Lynch type stuff and Twin Peaks it's like that looking glass into you know the small town how everyone is weird someone's always doing something bizarre it really was trying to do that and it's like okay what's something really saucy okay let's do some BDSM let's have mistress 
and let's have them be lesbians. And Nicolas Cage is just behind the screen, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, Did I need that? Not necessarily. Yeah, that, yeah those faces <laughs> of Nicolas Cage as he's yeah. watching the uh, uh, the two women have sex, or even just like anyone in particular, like his facial facial expressions are a mixture of both terrifying and hilarious at the same time. Because it's like, oh, because oh. it's very obvious what he's doing in these scenes, even if the film is not, the filmmakers aren't showing it. It's very clear, like, yeah, you're self, you're pleasuring yourself right now, aren't you? <laughs> right? Totally was. He really was. He was getting aroused oh, by, yeah. by it. And, yeah, I, mean, and the, I feel like they yeah. kind of had that there specifically just to add something a bit saucier than, say, oh, the truck driver's got a sex worker kind of thing. Yeah. Like, oh, let's get more even like seedy with this. Yeah, because the like, first time he like gets really aroused by you know viewing through this mirror. Like, I would have been more does. fascinated if he became obsessed with voyeurism. That would have been far more interesting of a film. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, and then of course, like he leaves that first session and then basically uh, goes back to his wife, and then they bang that night because he's so mm-hmm. turned on by the experience, and she enjoyed enjoys it because it's like this is the first time probably quite a while that had you know sex like this and mm. so passionate and like i guess in a way kind of gives him a zest that he hasn't had for a while but yet like you say marcy it's like it probably would have been a lot more interesting if they dive into like he sort of slowly becomes this kind of but i think the psychology of accidentally falling into this would have been more fascinating like if we had seen him spy on all sorts of stuff like you could have had a married couple or something have an argument you could have had you know someone staying there with their kids like anything could have been interesting you could have had you know 10 men filming a gangbang porno in one of the rooms sure and seeing his reaction you could have had someone giving birth in a hotel room like you could have done so much to explore all this but it doesn't it's like let's put in this weird mystery thing that no one really gives a shit about and also like i was actually surprised it was only just the one room they had the mirror in. i just assumed Mm. like there would be like more i suppose given the budget they could probably only do one Mm. Uh, and I mean, also at the same time, it, they at only... least it looked real, like a real hotel. Yeah, hotel. yeah exactly. And um, and also like really like like you said, that would have been interesting. Like him spying on all these different like you know customers who were staying at the hotel. But when you think about it, it's really just only Tommy and Strawberry Blonde that are kind of the only ones who kind of visit this motel. They are mm. the only two worthy of being peeped on. Um, exactly. Exactly. But I, I think I definitely agree, though. I think so much more. Yeah, I guess I'll probably, I'll very likely comes down to the time and budget limitations of a film like this, because I think already it was filmed in uh, 19 days. Um, yeah. But it, it feels like there's just a, so much more that could have been done. And I think it would have been interesting, like you said, there, if there'd been um, uh, maybe more mirrors to like all the rooms and it'd been like this network of tunnels and. You know, like welcome, like welcome to my peeperporium, um, <laughs> which I, th- I, th- I think would have been good. But I suppose it brings mm. us on, you know, to I guess the character of Ray and Nicholas Cage as well. Um, there, there was an interview where Cage was sort of talking about his ideas for Ray, um, 
He's uh, the main influence for me was the idea of my character being almost power addicted by the idea that he could be omnipresent and turn into the invisible man and spy on people and sort of get turned on by that. Um, and then and he, was, he, he was saying as well, he felt some of the mystery for him would be, I guess, the question of is he a creep? Is he not a creep? Mm. Um, is he becoming a perverse sort of boy who's doing illegal things, getting high on it as well? But um, See, that exploration would have been so much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Nick Nick Cage's, like, idea for this character sounded way better than what we got with the movie. Like, I'll give him credit, they tried, but I think if that script got reworked a bit more, I think we could have had something a lot more intriguing. Hmm. Yeah, again, just there was plenty of scope to do something more. Mm. Interesting. Um, the screen and here it's as a well. pretty solid cast as well. Uh, I thought most people actually were really good. And I can't help but thinking as we talk about all of this, and again, we're, we're, we're sort of throwing Twin Peaks around like there's no tomorrow here, but um, with all the scope for what could have been done with, with the type, the type of cast it was going for and the possibilities for exploration of this character and if there'd been the Peeperporium, um, it it feels like this is a sort of example of, mm. I, I suppose, a film that maybe could have worked better as like a TV series with just more time mm. to explore the characters, the history of the motel, um, explore like Ben as well, or the Maggie and Ray's history, get more of an idea of like the goings on into the history and the things going on in the rooms. Um, and ca- again, Cage's exploration of this character that he'd sort of talked about there as well. But I think. You know, with with Ray's character, it's like there's there's maybe the seeds of a character that could and should have been explored um, mm. more than what we got there. And yeah. I see, like you know, a, a lot of maybe not so much praise for the for the, for the performance, but a lot of people mm. talking about the understated performance of Cage here. Um, mm. I mean, do you, for you both, do you think that the performance, given what we've talked about, worked for Cage? Did the understatedness work? Do you think there should have been a bit more of that classic Gonzo Cage performance here? Um, just a roaring, violent masturbation scene behind the mirror? Um, <laughs> do you think anything could have been added, or do you think it was fine for what we got? I think it's kind of the the performance, the way he sort of took a much more low-key mm. take on the character. I think it kind of suited best for the material, and also the tone of the story. Mm. Cause I couldn't imagine Cage doing like multiple cage rages in a film like this. I mean, we kind of get a little bit of that in the bar scene where he's being attacked by, I guess, mm. this guy that works for Strawberry Blonde. But even then that's kind of more like a standard, like get away from me and stuff like mm. that, but nothing like going like that. So it's, this is mm. kind of, um, I think his performance here, for, at least for me, kind of felt more, actually worked because at least because it felt more appropriate for the type of story Mm. that this was Mm. i uh, because i feel like the film just doesn't it had so much more it could have explored uh and the performance he gives as you say it's a bit more subtle than what we may get with him and other things like it works for what we got but i would have loved to have seen like a full meltdown behind that mirror as he's, you know, struggling with all these emotions and things that he has this power to watch people. And, you know, he could have, like, you know, 
had a scene where he cries after he wanks because he feels bad about it or he's confused. Like these things could have been amazing, but yeah. you know, he's he's completely fine. Like there is rarely a role that he does that's crap. Even in the crappiest of movies, he's still great. And I think he's fine. And if there was more to this, I reckon he would have it would have been more of an unhinged performance. But it does suit what we get. And mm. I think it's fine, but yeah, I definitely would have liked a, you know, a, a, a more psychological type of, you know, film, but yeah. Yeah. And I, we should have got, we should have got a meltdown masturbation scene from behind the <laughs> mirror. We really should have, but yeah. Yes. You can't always get what you want. I think we can make an argument that all of his films are missing a meltdown masturbation scene. Um <laughs> But uh, one can dream. Um, so I suppose, you know, um, with it getting towards the end of the film and then I want to say threads coming together. I'm, again, I'm not really sure that they do, but um, mm. we go back to that scene where sort of like Howard's had squished the praying mantis. It was also that scene as well where he brandishes that uh, printed newspaper article and is like, I know your history. I know how your daughter died, and he, um, we get sort of that hint of like uh, the viciousness underneath, and maybe a true measure of the character because he basically bluntly suggests that unless you tell me where Ben is, um, I can make a case for child negligence and get you arrested for what happened to your daughter as well. And then Ray saying, "Oh, you probably want to go and find uh, BDSM lady Strawberry Blonde here," and I suppose you know, obviously. Strawberry Blonde and her partner, we get that little fight scene in the bar and he's like, um, we get a few cage fight scenes in this, but uh, Strawberry Blonde kind of ultimately doesn't really amount to anything. Mm. Um, and then we get sort of that final scene with Ben in the desert as well. He finally gets the call from Ben, uh, says, come and meet me in the, the desert. And then Ben arrives in a van and he's got like that, he's looking paranoid, he's got that um, sort of gu- that Geiger counter, that radio radioactive... Uh, wand kind mm. of thing, and uh, with all that, all this, obviously, we're talking about you know characterizations that could and should have been Ben suddenly appearing here and just looking like he's lived under a bunker for five years. I know, um, right? <laughs> you know, what what do we sort of make of that? Because for me, that was kind of like I I I feel like I felt like I was missing something in the middle from we see mm. him at the start is like oh yeah the, uh, the motel's yours and now it's like mm. it was like oh hey blah blah blah, blah. um i like to pee mm. on people as well uh <laughs> shot, shot by a sniper i was like you've gone from point a to point z but i feel like we've missed points b through the letter before Why? it said <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. so, what, what do we sort of make of this strange ben journey it it just it the thing with ben because we only see like that small snippet and then it was just like exposition or something overload when he does find him and he's like it's like okay but like why what and then you, you kind of get i guess that impression i can't remember exactly what he says but like um you know obviously uh the the sheriff guy has been doing naughty things, but he doesn't realise. I think that's kind of the, the little twist in a way. Like, yeah, it was kind of predictable it was him, but he doesn't know that it was a two-way mirror. 
mm. at all. Mm. So he doesn't know that Ben was spying on everything. And then it sort of makes sense then why, you know, he figured maybe Ben knew something, obviously, but he didn't know how. So then he worked that out. So that kind of was a bit interesting, but not entirely, because he kind mm. of already worked out that that the sheriff guy's a dickhead. But I'm like, dude, are you that dumb? You didn't know there was two-way mirror, bro. Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> it a reason why Ben maybe has been so quickly to sell off the motel. Like, you probably saw what happened and then is like, yeah. uh, oh, geez. I, ben came across as a character who would crack under the pressure pretty quickly. Mm. So, I mean, all Howard had to do was like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And yeah. then Ben would be like, yes, I was by the window. I know you killed that killed that girl. I'm sorry. And that's mm. probably why, because he knew that was going to happen. And hence why he had to, uh, had to leave. And... Um, but yeah, like when we see him again later in the movie, it's kind of again like yeah, he just it becomes an exposition dump where mm, why the is. reason why he did it is because of he was interested in how people act, and I'm like sure pervert sure, um, <laughs> yeah. but and then of course he gets shot uh, by a sniper, and then that's pretty much the end of it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. Um, d- exits the film as quickly as he's introduced um there to you know like you know, burning daylight you need to serve a purpose um so all, yeah all happening very quickly but then it sort of comes to the culmination where ray's racing back to the motel um howard's got maggie trapped in room 10 he's planning to kill them both to make it look like a murder suicide um and then we get sort of the the final fight scene where he he dives through the peeping mirror. Which was um, amazing. He goes, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He he ran up to the mirror and used his own hog to pole vault through it. Um, <laughs> and then ta- tackles tackles Howard to the to the floor. And I think it was, you know, it, it felt like quite a rugged fight scene. You know, Cage is mm. getting a kick in. He's jabbing the, the shard of glass mm. into Howard's face. Um and then shoots him twice. I think Howard's like, he gets shot once and Howard's like, um, well, this isn't how I thought this day was going to go or something <laughs> like that. And then gets shot again. But I think, like I said, it was very, very exposition heavy at the end to suddenly explain all the motivations. And I, I'll admit, I was very lost by the end of things about who, what, when, where, why, trying to make the Cluedo make sense. Because um, I, th- I think, as he said, it was basically suggested that Ben had seen Howard murder. Um but I don't know if it was it was Jessica that he saw murder or if he'd saw him murder someone else. But Howard didn't know it was a two way mirror until too late. Um mm. but then it was also obviously Howard and then then suddenly Howard knew how to find Ben and had access to a sniper rifle. I d I don't know, like even now like I can sort of get like a, a, a very simple baseline. Howard bad, Ben witness, Ray and Maggie in between the middle of all of this. Um, so I don't, I'm kind of like, all the explanation happened so quickly, but I was just still a bit confused by the end of it. Um, and then at the end, you know, we get we get one more Tommy saying like, is room 10 available? I got a bang. <laughs> And so you just, <laughs> by the end of it, I just felt bad for Tommy because I was like, the man's the man's got a raw dog and he's got no room available to him. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so you know, by the end when you know the credits are closing and then we're here, how did you all feel about the end of it? The ending of the film is what your feelings at the end because again, I was and still am just a bit unclear and confused on the whole thing. Uh, well, I kind of knew exactly, almost exactly where this movie was going, and it, then it just kind of ends, and I'm like, eh, it was okay. I'm like, mm. it could have had could have had more from this movie, but at the same time, it could have been a lot worse. Mm. So it's kind of one of those average for what it is kind of films. I was just kind of like, eh, that was a movie. Stuff happened, yeah. reasons, the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was uh, pretty much the same for me as well. It's just sort of like, other than the amazing scene of Nicolas Cage just going through the the mirror, uh, it pretty much is kind of a standard stock ending that you kind of see coming. Although I'm just sort of sitting there going to myself, it's like, uh, so like Ray and uh, Maggie, they're, like, they're, they're driving away from the scene of a crime. They're not even going to the police. They're just they, driving they, away. Were pe- they were peacing out of there. I'm like, no, fuck this, let's go. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, someone's going to come along, find Howard, they're dead. They're not going to know the context of what is going on because they probably think, like, the people who run this motel kill the police officer. Well, you know, you already get the idea the whole town is a bit fucked, so they probably will blame them. I mean, they'll obviously know, like, oh, well, oh, there's a whole big room behind this mirror that's been sh- mm. smashed through. But then, and now, like, Howard and, I'm sorry, Ray and uh, Maggie are now going to be basically wanted for murder. But then, of course, the movie ends in the most hilarious way is in that Windows Maker uh, credits comes back with the end. White <laughs> <Yes. laughs> red letters. And it just looks so cheap and just hilariously bad yeah i mean it just again it makes you feel sorry for tommy because the police are going to descend on that motel and he's going to like appear from like room 10 zipping himself up like stains mm. all over those bed sheets like women keep going missing and you're always here you're arrested mm-hmm. so I, f- I feel like tommy's going to end up uh having yeah. to answer some questions but yeah yeah tommy's <laughs> like the police are going to find tommy and he's like oh no my wife's going to know i've been sleeping with like all these uh sex workers here at this motel my life is ruined. <laughs> my life and my wife. Both there'll, be no more, there'll be no more duty for my wiener. Oh, no, he's going to meet Bubba when he goes to jail, obviously. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and that what always happens? Looking Glass 2, Tommy's duty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, be- the better film. Um, only bars in those rooms. No glass, unfortunately. But yeah, but um, I, th- I, th- I think, like you said, Marcy, it is just the, the bullet point summation of the film is just characters make bad decisions, stuff happens mm. because reasons, red text, mm. the end. Yeah, literally. It's, it's really how it came across. It's kind of like, you know, mm. it, 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 this is, you know, very much Cage's film. It is a, a quieter performance than you may expect mm. in a film like this. There's a lot more interesting things they could and should have done with Cage mm. and all of the characters um, and the supporting players are fine. They do. Mm. I think everyone who isn't Cage does what they can to make this film more interesting, but 90% of the people in this feel like dead weight and it's just a lot of 
conversations over coffee until anything happens and then by that point half mm. the movie is gone and the film can't really decide what angle to take or what it is mm. so this is I think just another example of just a film that ha- could and should have been better and had better ideas but it isn't necessarily what we got so I suppose um, yeah. you know as we as we I guess sort of come towards the end of like the movie here and we sort of slowly wrap things up for yourselves um is what are your sort of final takeaways on the film i'm a little confused by one thing so on imdb it says a psychosexual thriller but i didn't get any of those things from this so that confused me a little bit um yeah it is i guess uh, an average thriller ish sort of direct-to-video type of film, and Nick Cage is fine. Everyone mostly is fine in it. Um, It should have... It should have definitely had a lot more to it, maybe something more interesting, as I've discussed already. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of... It's watchable if you just want to, like, you know, complete watching Nicolas Cage movies. It's... I'm sure there's worse movies to watch out there, and there's definitely better movies to watch out there. Um, but it is what it is. I would give it a solid two out of five. Nicholas Cage wanking two BDSM lesbians behind the looking glass <laughs> out of five. <laughs> I guess for me, um, I didn't really like this movie all that much. Um, I mean, it is watchable, but I feel like the the potential was there given the type of story it had, but I don't feel like the script really kind of made it all work and also i think tim hunter's direction kind of just felt very pedestrian by the numbers as well like it definitely has mood and atmosphere but i don't feel like it had the kind of the frills or that it could have had for a thriller like this as well i kind of feel like if this film had sort of like if the script went through another couple of rewrites had a bit more of a budget and had more of a sort of cinematic sheen I think this film could have easily have been in a way kind of an interesting companion piece to eight millimeter in a way, mm. um, which this film kind of did remind me of in certain spots. And I feel like maybe if it was kind of had that, you know, a bigger budget, better script mm. and stuff like that, it probably could have easily have been something like that, or maybe it needed to be a bit more sleazy and a bit more, very surreal and weird to make it interesting but in the end it kind of just comes across as rather um pedestrian uh a bit dull and also the pacing was kind of off as well like they're just long stretches where barely anything mm-hmm. is happening in the story mm. yeah completely agreed with both um Again, another case of just a film that could and should have been better and mm. it presents itself well, but it's just a little bland, didn't really feel like it knew what it should be or what it should be leaning into. And a great point could be a companion piece to 8mm. I think it would have worked better as a almost a Twin Peaks light mm. kind of TV series to flesh mm. out the weirdness and lean more into that angle. Um was it a psychosexual thriller as Marcy brought up? I mean, there was sex in it and there was a psycho and it claims to be a thriller. I think this is the, that's the film it thinks it is. Yeah. It, it might think it's a lot more... Um, I think that's what it wanted to be. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's uh, had dreams beyond its station. Um, 
but I think just just a lot of you know Cage mostly mumbling and smoking cigarettes, a lot of dead weight with the characters, um, and it presents itself well enough, and the cinematography is fine, and the sets are good, and mm. the direction is competent, but it just um, I think from the like we said from the very opening like credits by the time it finished, I my interest peaked. I was like. I kind of felt myself just dipping throughout mm. it and just losing interest. So mm. it just it felt made like me filler. want to rewatch Eight Millimeter. To be honest, yeah. After this discussion, I kind of want to rewatch Eight Millimeter. Yeah, I kind of um, want to rewatch it now. So I, I guess our our consensus is um, watch Eight Millimeter instead instead yes. of mm. this film. Um, so I suppose as we on that bombshell. As we come yeah. to the end of things, uh, we've looked through the looking glass and we did not like what we had to see. Um, so it's, it's left to wrap up here uh, as, you know, returning guests and friends of the show, Super Marcy, be your mind. Thank you once again for joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Um with that said, uh, you know, where can we find you both on then their socials? Indeed, thank uh, you so much. That was very lovely, and down. it's a pleasure to be on your show. And we will return the favor one day. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, we, I mean, we've been on your show, like, between me and Marcy, we've been on your show three times. But we need to return the favor at some point and get you on one of our multiple shows on our podcast. <laughs> we will, we, we will get it. We will get it. We might have to do an audio commentary on a Nicholas Cage film. We will get it in. I know yeah. we, we've discussed it for a long time. We will get it in. We're gonna yes. do eight millimeter just because we've been discussing it. I have no Ooh. idea, <laughs> but I'd be down for that. But anyway, um, <laughs> you can um, find us at supermarcy.com that is s-u-p-e-r-m-a-r-c-e-y.com uh you can find all our podcasts and uh all the stuff is basically there and uh if you need more we have a link tree which is link tr.ee slash the super network and all of our links and socials are on there because there's way too many things for me to remember um then you can or you can find us on like twitter at uh twitter.com slash sm underscore super network or you can follow me at twitter.com slash super marcy or you can follow me on letterbox at super underscore marcy and uh if people want to find me personally they can find me at my twitter page at twitter.com slash be jermine or my letterbox account at letterbox.com slash be jermine and of course, you can find all my work over at supermarcy.com with all my reviews and columns. Incredible stuff. As always, links in the description down below. So thank you once again, Supermarcy and Bijamai, for joining me on the journey. We come to the end of this week's episode. Uh, so thank you for listening, if you have been, and hopefully we'll catch you in the next one. But until then, and as always... Keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you, take care, and goodbye. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye.